0: Amen to that. Right on. Well, I see the donut shop is closing doors. Last call for coffee. (laughs) Oh, boy. All righty. Well, we're going to be talking about John chapter 9 tonight. So uh, let me actually turn this off to avoid any, any feedback. All right, let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Lord, for this privilege to come together as your church to worship you together with the saints, Lord. Thank you for giving us your one and only Son, that in him and in believing in him we may have eternal life. And Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands when there are so many around the world, our brothers and sisters, who might just have one verse or not even a single page of the Bible. And Lord, we just consider it such a privilege here to be here to study your word without any fear of persecution. Lord, God, I ask that you forgive me of my sins and cleanse me and uh, fill me with your spirit, that these words that I speak would not be of mine, but that they would be of your spirit and bring glory and praise and honor to you. We ask, Father, that you be with all the ministries that are going on here at church, Lord, with the the youth and uh, all the worship. We just thank you, Lord, for all the servants here. And Father, we commit this time in Jesus' name and we love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, John chapter 9, today we're going to go through the entire chapter. And uh, for an introduction, all right, I know I'm a troublemaker here at church, so uh, here it goes. The year is 1985, and I want to take you back to the future. I know what you're thinking. Great Scott, did we come here for a Bible study or a movie review? No, don't worry. Um, I'm not going to discuss Michael J. Fox or Christopher Lloyd traveling through time in that cool DeLorean. But man, I wish my Prius had a flux capacitor like that. Man, I would really up that gas mileage. But uh, I digress and um, want to get back to reality here. And that was just a teaser to get your attention, and the only relevant piece of information I want you to remember from this introduction is the year, 1985. So in the past studies that I've done here, I have mentioned my grandparents and their unwavering faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which they passed down to my parents and ultimately to my brother and cousins as well as numerous others. They partook in planting the seeds of faith, which led to our salvation. And what a privilege it is to be presented and taught the Word of God at such an early age. And not only that, but witnessing the godly example of their lives lived out, you know um, that's what leaves a permanent impression in my heart. And I just remember, you know, um, all my grandparents, when they were alive, they would always be pointing us to the Lord, encouraging us in Scripture, and uh, you know they would serve in church. They would serve outside of church, and uh, it just left a lasting impression in in my heart. Definitely, I want to talk today about Grandma Semagil, um, or Sharon, as uh, most of her American friends knew her by she was an orphan who survived the massacres of the Armenian genocide in the early to mid 1900s. Um, you know, it, it was basically around 1915 when, um, families in Armenia were driven out by, uh, the Turkish empire. And, um, uh, you know, I believe, uh, actually all my grandparents, they were probably three, four, five years old that they remember. And, uh, they remember, you know, the parents being taken and, uh, uh, you know, the houses being ransacked and, uh, and you know, hiding under the dress of their moms and being escorted out of their homes and country. But it's just a miracle that, uh, you know, they survived and the Lord was good to them. And it was by the grace of God. And, you know, my grandmother grew up. Um, she became a school teacher and uh, married my grandfather, Anushavan. All right, I admit our names are pretty long and difficult to pronounce, and uh, if you think uh, that's difficult. Traditionally, you know, uh, I think Pastor Rex does this too, Sunday mornings, he says, you know, uh, traditionally you're known by your name, then your father's name, then your grandfather's name, so he just puts them in order. So I'm going to try to do that right now. So, uh, you know, my dad's name is Avedis, my grandfather's name is Anushavan, my right? Great-grandfather's name is Krikor. So that would make me Rafi, Avedis, Anushavan, Krikor, Eregyen. Can you say that ten times real fast? Please? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, uh, anyway, uh, you know, my grandfather, um, I never got to meet him because he passed away before my parents got married. But uh, he was a pastor... Any principal of a Christian school. And guess where? Of all places, Amman, Jordan. Um, those of you wondering, uh, you know, you hear Amman in the news quite a bit, and uh, it's not particularly a Christian-friendly place From Yeah, it's really not. But, um, you know, my grandmother would actually teach Bible and English classes at the school, and she would also minister to the women of the community, and, uh, you know, grandfather was in charge of uh, pastoring the church and the school over there and, uh, and just taking care of day-to-day activities. And here's something that really stands out to me. Um, you know, my parents uh, would tell me stories about um, how Muslim families in the surrounding neighborhoods to the school, they were just so impressed with the education and the conduct of the students of that school um, you know, my grandfather would say, you know, if you want to send your kids to this school, we are going to teach them the Bible, uh, and there's no excuse and no, uh, we're not going to be lenient in that. And uh, and the interesting part was uh, these Muslim families would actually comment and say, you know, if our kids will turn out like this, you can teach them anything you want, teach them the Bible, teach them the Armenian language, and we're down with that. And, uh, you know, it it's just neat to see how God actually works in and through people and how he softens hearts to uh, to just bring them to repentance. And my grandparents really loved the Lord, and he enabled them to be the ministers of his gospel in the home, in the school, for his glory. You know, um, as I mentioned, grandfather went to be with the Lord before my parents were married, so... Never got to meet him, but, um, after he passed, um, you know, grandma remained really strong and faithful to finish the race until he called her home as well. So, that leads me back to the year 1985, and I know you're wondering, why do I keep saying 1985? I'm going to skip quite a few events, um, but, you know, um, grandmother came to the U.S., and, uh, you know, my parents are in the US now and they uh they got married, they had me and my brother, and um in nineteen eighty five. What I remember, grandma would babysit us when our parents uh had to go out of town or uh or they had other responsibilities. And uh I remember these songbooks that uh she compiled by hand. Um it was my cousin Ani, my brother Vace, and myself. And that's what I want to share with you. So um, these are the song books. She wrote them by hand. Mm-hmm. Well, mine's not dated eighty five, but my brother's is here. December 1985, and um, in the preface, you know, it's written in Armenian, but uh, translating it says, these songs let us learn, sing, play, live out, and teach, and um, she put a scripture in there to exhort us, it's Second um, Timothy chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So, um, you know, it's neat that, um, I don't know why my brother didn't keep his and my cousin didn't keep hers, but it's neat that we still have these. And this is the legacy of my grandparents that that's very dear. And, um. One thing I remember, I always remember this thing was red in color, and um, I remembered one of the songs that, uh, you know, that she taught us, and it's on page 10, and uh, I believe you might know this song. It's called This Little Light of Mine. So this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine all the time. And uh am sure you know the other verses. Um, Don't let Satan poof it out. I'm going to let it shine. And uh, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Right here. So, um, what are we supposed to do? Let it shine. Let it shine. All the time. You know, while I was preparing this study, and I never even, this didn't cross my mind, but. The Lord just put it on my heart to share it with you. And, uh, you know, I remember learning this song as a child, you know, which came from a songbook that Grandma wrote in 1985 to ensure that she did what the Lord had called her to do to teach us the gospel. So, um, as we look at today's scripture, I want you to ask yourself and hang this question in your mind. This little light of mine, do I let it shine? I know it's a simple question, but it can be a very convicting one. So uh, let's recap from last week. Um, Our brother Robert Lerma taught us on the closing section of John chapter 8, where Jesus Christ was severely upsetting the Jews. And you know, these Jews were priding themselves on being descendants of Abraham, reviling the very Son of God. Whom they claimed to be their father. And uh, some of the nasty accusations and implications they expressed to our Lord were, you know, if you look at John chapter 8, verse 41, they were saying, We know who our father is, but, you know, we're not born of fornication. And they were kind of implying that Jesus was born out of fornication. And in verse 48, um, they were saying, You're a Samaritan. And We know how the Jews totally reviled the Samaritans. And they also said and accused that, you know, he has a demon. And, uh, you know, as they continued to look down upon Christ, um, Jesus answered them in uh, verse 56 of chapter 8. This is so neat. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Boy, and then... In verse 58, Jesus laid the smack down upon them. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Boy, did their tempers flare at that point, because they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming, his deity. And uh, recall back in Exodus, um, as Moses spoke with God at the burning bush, You don't have to turn there, but for reference, it's Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Wow. You know, Jesus was trying to reach these guys. And uh, he's trying to be tangible and... uh, Speak in a way that they would understand. And I think they understood it. Because if you look at their reaction, what did they do? They were ready to kill him. They uh, considered his claim to be blasphemy. And if you look at verse 59 in chapter 8, it says, They took up stones to throw at him. But what happened? But Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Well, um, this altercation was kind of cut short as Jesus made his way out of the temple, and that brings us to John chapter 9, the text for today. And uh, there are three distinct scenes that occur here. So first, we're presented with a man who was born blind, and he received sight, and second, We see the Pharisees uh, calling this uh, healed man and uh, eventually excommunicating him from the church because he professed Christ. And then in the third section, we have a uh, contrast comparison between true vision and true blindness. So uh, let me stress the question again. This little light of mine, do I let it shine? Keep that in your mind as we go through and, uh, and think about the reaction of each and every person involved in this text. Let's start in uh, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to read through it once here. And it begins it says, Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man? or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day. The night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated, sent. So he went and washed, and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, Dude, I am the man. Come on. (laughs) Boy. Therefore, they said to him, It doesn't say dude, okay? It says, (laughs) I am he. (laughs) That's the Numeraphic translation. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. You know, the first thing that strikes me in this opening passage, picture this. The Jews are trying to stone him, and Jesus is able to pass out of their presence. And what is the next thing he does? He sees the blind man and stops to acknowledge him. I don't know about you, but if there's somebody throwing rocks at me and ready to kill me, I'm just going to run and, and try to hide. But, you know, um, it's Jesus' heart that stands out here. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, Jesus wants a relationship with each and every one of us. He is the one who seeks us out. And He wants to save each of us. He wants to give everybody that complete, full, amazing life that He has planned from the beginning. You know, God is the one who is initiating a relationship with us, and it's up to us on how we respond. So, um, you know, looking at verse 2, you know, the disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? And the disciples, they don't have the right perspective. Um, They obviously believe that the reason for this man's blindness is due to either his own personal sin or some sin in his family. And Jesus immediately answers them and explains that this blindness is not due to sin, but rather for the works of God to be revealed in him. And as we move through the text, we will see that this was not only for the blind man himself, but also an opportunity for the Jews to see a miracle and believe the Christ who can save them from blindness. Again, remember, this little light of mine. So this begs the question, um, why god Why does God allow circumstances that we view as tragic or cruel, but before jumping to any conclusions and speculating the circumstance to what someone may say or you know why they may have deserved the condition they're in, we have to go back and focus on the nature of God from his word so um I want to examine some of God's attributes and uh and it's just need to be refreshed on who God is. Starting with Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 to 12. God wants the best for us. It says in verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Isn't that amazing? Now, um, we're also warned of deception, and we're also exhorted that goodness is only from above, from God above. In James chapter 1, verses 16-17, through 17, it says, Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's kind of neat that, you know, um, Father of lights, God is light, Jesus is light, he's giving us that little light for us to carry. Now, uh, remember back in Exodus um, chapter 34, verse 5, Moses went up. To Mount Sinai again with tablets of stone he had cut, like the first ones. You know, he got really mad and threw them down when he saw the people um, just doing crazy, sinful things. Um, you know, God is a God of goodness. He, he really does give us more chances than we could ever ask for to repent. It says, "Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord." And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. He is abounding in truth and goodness and love and forgiveness but uh until you cut that sinful attitude and, and repent um you know it can lead to a tragic end where each ne- the following generation gets worse and worse and worse but Jesus can heal Jesus can change in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 to 16 we see that God is compassionate and merciful. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So God is there and he's ready to accept us, no matter what. Now, God is love, and he showed us the ultimate love by sacrificing his son for us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 11, it reads, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that god sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him in this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if god so loved us we also ought to love one another ultimate gift of love now uh, in first peter chapter 1 couple of verses 3 to 5 It talks about mercy that doesn't fade away and an inheritance that's waiting for us if we keep in the faith. Verse 3 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And a couple others I want to go through. Psalm 19, verse 7 talks about God's righteousness. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And let's look at a couple about the Lord's sovereignty. In Luke chapter 12, verse 27, it reads, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin and yet i say to you even solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these if then god so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven how much more will he clothe you o you of little faith and in matthew chapter 10 verse 29 a couple of verses god really cares greatly for each of us um, If you were with us in ministry school uh, last Friday, Pastor Manny described people as God's most valuable commodity that he entrusts to his servants that that we all may minister to one another. And in verse 29 it reads, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. They're starting to fall out, but god knows do not fear therefore you are of more value than many sparrows so we have a god who's compassionate who's sovereign who's righteous and uh, and we are clearly given the explanation that this blind man's blindness was not due to sin but that for the glory may go to god so um trivia time what is god like So uh, going back to 1985, I found something here that uh, Grandma had cut out of what looks like to be um, some circular of a church. And um, there were some slogans in here of uh, TV ads, you know, um, of products and companies. And uh, and it is saying, uh, God is like something, and then giving the explanation... um, A lot of these were before my time, so um, I hope you guys might pick up on them. So, uh, there's one that reads, God is like a Ford. He has a better idea. God is like Pan Am. Remember Pan American Airlines? He makes the going great. Okay. God is like a Pepsi. He's got a lot to give. Okay. Okay. God is like standard oil. You expect more from him, and you get it. Okay. God is like union oil. You probably know this one. He's a spirit of 76. Okay. God is like dial soap. Aren't you glad you know him? Don't you wish everybody did? God is like Hallmark Cards. He cares enough to send the very best. This is a cool one. God is like tide. He takes the stains out that others leave behind. And I found one for my sweetheart, Brianna. God is like a Coca-Cola. He's the real thing. (laughs) Okay. God is like VO5 hairspray. He holds through all kinds of weather. God is like Mattel toys. You can tell he's swell. Okay. And drum roll, last but not least. God is like frosted flakes. He's great. <laughs> well, I guess you get the idea. <laughs> Uh, We have a God who is loving, compassionate, kind, patient, and He wills the very best for each of us. And in this first section of the passage, Jesus is just delighting in doing this work. Um, You remember the parable of the lost coin? Um, Luke chapter 15, verse 8. It reads, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the joy that Christ has as he's ministering to this blind man. And also ministering to the Jews and the Pharisees. The second point that really stands out is how personal and tangible Jesus is in his approach with the blind man. He makes it personal because he wants a personal relationship with each of us. Um, Imagine what it's like to be physically blind from birth. So close your eyes for a minute and now try to do something very trivial. Like, uh, reach for that tasty gooey donut that you picked up? Or uh, the aromatic fragrance of that freshly brewed cup of coffee? Or, uh, what if I said, turn to Genesis chapter 1 in your Bible? Well, I'm sure uh, you'd be able to feel around here, and you know Genesis is in the beginning. um, And you can sort of make out where it is, and guess the approximate location. But, Let's say you're really good and you memorize exactly which page it's on and, uh, and landed on the correct page. And now I tell you, read to me verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Now open your eyes. My point is, the sense of sight was completely foreign to this man, and Jesus touches the very eyes that are blind. At the moment, with something tangible that he could understand. You know, um, since coming to Calvary Chapel for you know about five, six years now, I really like how our pastor always stresses. What does he say? Simple. Christ is trying to be simple. He's just trying to present himself, his love to us and um, just doing it in a way that we would understand. So as we go forward in the text, we read on that, you know, Jesus commanded the man to do something and he just did it. And he came back and told the doubting people that, yeah, dude, it's me. I was blind. Jesus anointed my eyes. Told me to wash up, so I did, and now I see. The blind man was given a little light. It was personalized. It was packaged. It was designed just for him and presented to him by the Lord who loved him. Did he make his light shine? Let's go to the next section. So this is where it gets really interesting. And um, this is where we have an altercation between the Pharisees and that man. So I'm going to read through verses 13 through 34. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. This kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, when Daryl spoke a couple weeks ago. He was describing the Pharisees wearing black robes and uh, giving that Darth Vader voice. (laughs) Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Just thought I'd throw that in. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, "He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age ask him he will speak for himself his parents said these things because they feared the Jews for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ he would be put out of the synagogue therefore his parents said he is of age ask him so they again called the man who was blind and said to him give God the glory we know that this man meaning Jesus is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Then they answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins. And you, and are you teaching us? And they cast them out. Well, I got to give it to the Pharisees. They were partially right. It's true that the blind, blind man was born in sin, but their doctrine was skewed. It clearly states that the man's blindness from birth was not due to sin. But guess what? The Pharisees were born in sin, too. They just didn't want to acknowledge it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it reads, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Well, these Pharisees sure knew the story of Adam and Eve and uh, the warning that God gave them in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3. What does it read? But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Obviously, this event caused quite a stir at the local synagogue because the Pharisees considered that uh, Jesus had not kept the Sabbath according to their rules and regulations. And, hey, hey, come on. If you don't keep the Sabbath, there's no way you can be from God, right? But then again... Only God can perform such a miracle of healing, so uh, so Jesus can't be a sinner. And uh, it wasn't enough that they actually saw this blind man completely healed in his own personal confession that he now sees, and they're still doubting him, and they wanted to be certain from the parents. So, um, you know, I think in every study I have to... Uh, mentioned, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can. Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, I'm going to read a couple verses starting from verse 10 Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 to 10 um, hearts growing dull being hard of hearing you know the disciples actually saw and experienced what the prophets and righteous people of old longed to see and here's this blind man who is seeing the very Jesus who can save him and yet the religious leaders also see him and refuse to believe Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are you, your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, did not hear it. I think it would have been so cool to see Christ, but we will see him one day. Romans chapter 1, verse 28, um, you know, God can give us over to our carnal desires um, if we're not careful, and uh, you know, it always starts small, it's a tiny lie, it's something small you steal, and then it just grows and becomes this big blob of mass that uh, can get out of control. And in verse 28, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Whoa. And uh, you, know, you look at the attitude of the Jews and the Pharisees and they can't see their own deception, they can't see their own wickedness. And sin is something that just can blind you. Second Thessalonians chapter two uh, verse nine to twelve. Um, you know, the Antichrist is described as a deceiving work of Satan. It says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, one thing I found really sad was the reaction of the parents. Imagine, um, your very own child is born with a disability that prevents them from doing trivial things in daily life. On top of that, um, you know, imagine being blind in the day. Um, society is looking down upon this blind man and speculating that his condition is due to his sin. And he has to resort to begging just to survive. Then here comes Jesus. He performs a miracle that has never been seen in the world and gives this man sight. Wouldn't the parents rejoice and exclaim gratitude and praise for healing their son? I mean, uh, it boggles my mind. I'd be like, if I've known you and you've been blind and now you see, I'd want to know what's going on. I'd be really happy for you. And here's where the condition of the heart comes in. They were more concerned about their reputation and standing in the synagogue rather than the Christ who could save them as well. And uh, as you know, we are given a stern warning about denying Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, it reads, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father, who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny. Before my Father who is in heaven. You know, the parents threw their son under the bus to fend for himself. They said, You know, he's of age, ask him. But what did the son do? He kept his little light shining. So uh, the remainder of this altercation between the healed man and the Jews demonstrates how man in his own pride stands no chance when God is against him. And it was just neat to see how the Jews and the Pharisees were pretty much attacking this guy. And you can see the Spirit of the Lord working in him and just giving him the words to speak and putting these guys to shame. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read a couple of verses starting from verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request the sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In their prideful stubbornness, they could not win the argument, and their resolution was basically to remove this man from the synagogue. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 to 19, it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. We see what pride did to these Pharisees and Jews, and it's just a stern warning that you know, pride can make you do nasty things, and it will destroy you. So now we come to the third section, true vision and true blindness. And let me read the remainder of of our text for today starting at verse 35 jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him he said to him do you believe in the son of god he answered and said who is he lord that i may believe in him and jesus said to him you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you then he said lord I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Hmm something to think about. In Second Corinthians chapter four verses three to five it reads But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, um, First Peter chapter five, five to nine, talks about humility and submission. Also talks about f- pride, and uh, you know, Satan's out there trying to devour. He's seeking. He wants to lie to you. He wants to deceive you, because he knows his end, and he wants you with him. It says in uh, verse five: Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world and you know the apostle Paul gave us a lot of warnings um, in second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse thirteen. it reads, "For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder." For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You know, Reflecting back on uh, all the attributes of God, desiring that none should perish, he is handing every soul a personalized little light. And we saw different reactions of what uh, what individuals did with the light that was handed to them. So, um got a few questions for you as we close. Are you going to be like the blind man's parents and hide the light under the bushel? Or are you going to be like the Pharisees and let Satan poof it out? Or... Are you going to be like the blind man who was healed? And repeat with me, let it shine, let it shine all the time. Let's pray. Gracious Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word today. And we thank You, Lord, for ministering us through Your Spirit. And Father, we thank You that You've shown us the light, You've given us the light through Your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that... uh, as we allow you to check our hearts, that you reveal to us, Lord, where we are falling short, what we are missing in terms of hitting that bullseye. And I ask, Lord, that uh, we would evaluate ourselves, that we wouldn't hide our light, that we wouldn't allow Satan to discourage us and lead us astray, but that we would be like the blind man who was healed, that as he received your gospel, he believed in you, and He let His light shine before men as it reads in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let Your light so shine before men that they may see Your good works and glorify Your Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, and we love You, Lord. And the people of the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.